Hello everyone, I'm so glad that you're back. We're gonna conclude the Beatitudes today. Now, um, I don't know what it's like where you're at, but here it got all up to almost 100 today and it's a little too hot. So uh, I hope we all cool down. I hope you cool down where you're at. But anyway, uh, this is the last of on the series on the Beatitudes. And last week we talked about the last Beatitude that Jesus taught about. And um, this week we're gonna uh, share the scripture that Jesus uh, gave us right after the last Beatitude. So if you haven't listened to the Beatitudes, they're so good, and I encourage you to uh, start with the first one because each Beatitude builds on the one before it. So um, if we uh, live by the Beatitudes, live what we learned about in the Beatitudes, Jesus said that we are salt and that we are light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Matthew 5.13 in the NIV, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So what in the world does that mean? <laughs> by saying this, Jesus is telling believers how much they matter to the future of society. You know, in the time that Jesus lived, salt was the most important commodity available. It was more valuable than gold. Salt was more important, more valuable, more needed than gold was. The Greeks valued salt so much that they almost considered it divine. Or in other words, they almost worshipped it. They almost um, honored it like, like you would a god or, 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 you know, praise it and worship it. It was so valuable that the Romans sometimes paid their soldiers in salt. So the Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt, and that's where the term not worth their salt, not worth his salt comes from, because if, if they didn't work well, they didn't work do what they were supposed to do. They weren't worth getting paid, so they weren't worth their salt. So isn't that interesting? So I wanna ask you, and I ask myself, are we worth our salt? Uh, for Jesus? Are we worth our salt in the kingdom of God? You know, salt brought healing. It is a preservative, a seasoning. It's a symbol of purity. It was used to create thirst. Now, now you think, well, why would salt be used to create thirst? Well, in arid countries, countries that have deserts and are real dry, people would take salt to force them to drink liquids so they would not become dehydrated. What do you think about that? <laughs> when salt became impure, I'm talking back in the time of Jesus, when salt became impure, this is what they did. It was worthless and it was thrown on the roads. It would then become as hard as a rock. So if we lose our saltiness, we become hard and worthless to the kingdom of God. So remember that if we lose our saltiness, we become hard and worthless to the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus never told us to be sugar. He told us to be salt. Sometimes salt irritates, but it preserves and it gives flavor. In Luke 14, 34 in the NLT, it says salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavor, flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So we can see uh, 
God is telling us that we need to maintain our saltiness, that we need to be salty. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> it means that we need to maintain our witness and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to uh, be a force on this earth that brings healing, that's a preservative, a seasoning, a symbol of purity. Uh, and we need to be so salty that we create a thirst in people for the kingdom of God. So we don't want to lose our saltiness. You know, there's a really great example of someone who lost their saltiness. And her name was Daisy Douglas Barr. Have you ever heard of her? Probably not. I never heard of her before I read this particular book. Daisy was a devout Quaker minister in the late 1800s. And Quakers, uh, you know, allowed and encouraged female uh, ministers. She was an evangelist. She preached her first sermon at 16 after receiving a vision. She was ordained at 20 and began a series of revival meetings. She uh, was a real go-getter. She was a real planner, real enthusiastic. She could really organize things. She had a vision for things. She was extremely popular. She was the most popular minister in the Midwest at that time. In addition to sharing the gospel, she vehemently preached against drinking, saloons, dance halls, and things like that. Daisy Barr opened a, a home to help rehabilitate prostitutes, and she was instrumental in opening a YMCA in her area to help women. So isn't that interesting? Sounds like she was salt, right? She was so well-known in Protestant circles that she was called Mother they called her mother. Everybody knew about Daisy Barr. They called her mother. She was a soul winner. She went around preaching the gospel. She prayed for the sick. Um, she, she loved the Lord. She was also a dedicated Republican, and she was dedicated to Republican views and, and also was the first woman to serve as the vice chair of the Indiana Republican Party. In the 1920s, she joined up with the KKK, which is unfortunate and the KKK pushed for a whole lot of the same things that Daisy Barr strongly, strongly believed in and, and preached about, um, which the main thing and most important to her was abstaining from alcohol. And joining with, she saw that joining with them, with the KKK, would give her more influence and a broader, broader audience and she saw so many similarities to what she was sharing and what the KKK was sharing. So as she uh, became associated with the KKK, she became a great promoter of it. Um, and as you know, the KKK at, at, in the 1920s, their views included white supremacy, hate for Catholics, hate for Jews, hate for blacks. They also hated Asians. They hated Italians, they hated the Irish, they hated the Germans, they hated the disabled, and they hated all immigrants unless they came from Northern Europe. They hated bootlakers and they hated adulterers. And one thing that's really interesting about, uh, if you look into the history of the KKK in the 1920s in the United States, the main leaders of the KKK who were totally and completely against adultery and uh, drinking, and were so pro-family. Almost all of them were adulterers, wife beaters, and alcoholics. <laughs> it's very interesting. Anyway, Daisy Barr was very, very, very successful, 
at increasing the membership in, in the KKK and raising money. She became very wealthy doing this. She grew large crowds back in the 1920s, up to 20,000 people uh, would come to hear her at one time. And she had such a great sway with white Protestant churches and enlisted enormous amount of Christians into the KKK. Daisy Barr became the Imperial Empress of the Indiana Women's Ku Klux Klan. Uh, the members um, promoted lynching, arson, beatings, and whippings. They promoted eugenics. Uh, Hitler fashioned some of his policies after the KKK. So Daisy Barr, she started out right. She was salty. Uh, she she uh, was the salt of the earth, and then she lost her saltiness, and it was so sad. And just in the same way, all of us Christians can lose our salt when our thoughts and our words and our actions become disconnected from God's word and his love. And many times, like these people, I've studied it quite a bit in the, in the KKK in the 1920s, they, they thought that their Christian faith was telling them to do this. And it had, if you look in the Bible in the New Testament, especially, there's absolutely nothing in the Bible that promoted uh, in the Jesus' teaching that agreed with what they were doing. In Colossians 4.2, Colossians 4.2 in the NIV, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of opportunity of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, this is about this is about being a witness, being salt to the the salt of the earth, about bringing preservation and healing and flavor and, and making people thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't want to lose our salt, do we? And Jesus also talked about being a light, the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, it says, You are the light of the world. And you can see these are kind of very similar. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus is telling us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, when Jesus was preaching this, cities were set way up on hills so they could be seen from afar off. Um, lamps in houses, the lamps were lit in houses, and the lamps were never extinguished because they were so difficult to light. Instead of uh, putting the light out in their houses, they had a special ceramic bowl that they put over them to cut the light out, but let the flame keep burning so they would be able to sleep at night. So they never let their lights go out. So in these cities, you know, being the light of the world in these cities, you know, if you were far off, you could not miss the light from these cities. And, and, and Jesus is telling us that we are light and we're supposed to use our light to help people. You know, the world, and it has been for centuries is covered in moral and spiritual darkness but the only way for people to see clearly what really matters is to see the light that shines in us it enables people to see and find their way to God 
Jesus Christ is the light of the world and people need to see Jesus in us. The darker the night, the more need there is for light. You know, darkness in this world gets darker and darker because our light fails. When we fail to reset, reflect Christ's light, we let darkness in and we don't want that. <clears throat> That's what happened, has what happened in the United States. Researchers have found that only 10% of born-again Christians in the United States read their Bible every day. And we know that probably fewer than 10% actually live out the words in the Bible. So we cannot be in touch with God and have light flowing out of us if we are so disconnected from God. So I just encourage you to stay connected to God through his word and through prayer. Uh, many try to bring light to the country through fervor in politics or fighting for a particular cause. That's the way it was in Jesus's day with the Jews. And that's what happened with Daisy Barr. But we lose our light and we lose our salt if we're more fervent about politics or social change and, and, and a nation rather than for souls in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and souls is God's number one priority. You know, our citizenship in heaven is much more important than our national pride or making a particular country great. Let's make our witness great. And that will bring light and change to our country. That's our number one priority, God's kingdom. Then the earthly kingdom and, and other things that are associated with, with it. You know, if we act like heathens and we you know, are hateful and vengeful and always find fault in people and call people names and insult people, um, then we're bringing darkness into the world. Jesus said that we're to love, we're to love like he does. So if we're living the Beatitudes that we talked about in the previous sessions, we will be salt and we will be light. If we are not, then we have a dead religion that is dark and tasteless and is worthless and will be trampled underfoot, and we don't want that. So just to review the Beatitudes, if we're no longer salty or no longer light, there is help for you in God. Go back to the first Beatitude. And I'm going to go through them and kind of summarize what they said. The first one is admitting how bankrupt you are spiritually, are poor in spirit. Number two, mourn and grieve over your sin and the, or the sins of society. It talks about those who mourn. Number three, be meek and submit ourselves to God and his will. Number four, be starving to death. That's what it talks about. Be starving to death and parched uh, to be right with God through Jesus Christ. Number five, be merciful to others, knowing that you can show them how to obtain eternal life. Number six, have a pure heart toward God and toward others. Number seven, strive to have peace with others and to tell others how they can have peace with God. Number six, count it as a wonderful blessing when you are persecuted for your Christian character and your Christian faith. You know, if you do these things, you will be supremely blessed. The Bible tells us Jesus promised it to us. We'll be supremely blessed. We will be comforted. We'll inherit the earth. You'll be filled. You'll show mercy. You'll be shown mercy. We'll see God. We'll be called the sons of God, and we'll have a great reward in heaven. So isn't that wonderful? I just encourage you to, to study the Beatitudes, go back over them with what you've learned, and be the salt and light that God intends you to be. Um, the Beatitudes, you know, the Sermon on the Mount goes on for quite a long time. 
The Sermon on the Mount is the beginning of it. And if we get the Sermon on the Mount down, we'll be able to live out the rest of the, or if we get the Beatitudes down, we'll be able to live out the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about this. It's It's been such a pleasure sharing it with you. And, and I just trust that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're, you've never been salt or light, to go through these steps that I talked about, to realize your need for the Lord Jesus Christ, to mourn over your sins, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and thirst and hunger to be right with him and put your faith and trust in him. And uh, God will God will help you. He'll change your life. He'll make you a new person. So just encourage you to do that. And hey, if you have any questions about the Beatitudes, just send us a comment uh, on YouTube or Facebook. You can comment on there or send us an email and uh, we can help you understand it more. And uh, be sure to tune in on Sunday. Pastor Terry and I are teaching on uh, We've Got Marriage Problems. Uh, successful marriages from A to Z. We've been having a lot of fun. We've been having a lot of laughs. Uh, we know that uh, the things that we've gone through and other people have gone through, and there's just so much wisdom that we can share with you to help you have a successful marriage. So we'll talk to you later. God bless you. Bye-bye. <laughs>